Hi, my name is Specialist Veda Dobbins. I uh, was in the United States Army, and you're watching Dingo Talk. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk. Very special episode. Happy Veterans Day to all the veterans out there. Thank you for your service. This episode, we are going to be with United States Retired Army Specialist Veda Dobbins. I went to high school with Veda, so this, this interview hits really close for home for me. Uh, Veda is going to explain why he made the decision to go into the military, his time in the military, and what he's doing now outside of back in civilian life, I guess you would say. But without further ado, this is Veda Dobbins. You want to know by now. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk show. It's Dingo Talk. It's not the show. Don't worry about that. This is Specialist Veda Dobbins. Uh, United States Army served two terms, three terms. Uh, it was only two. Two term, two tours in overseas with with as a specialist. We're going to talk to Veda about everything that we normally do, except this one. He's going to explain to us as a 18 year old kid why he made a decision to go into the military and he chose to to make it two tours and then come back and what he's doing now. Veda. So you and I, we, we is, there's no, there's no, uh, we, we know each other 15 years yeah. now. We've, we've, yeah. we've known each other. Um, let's talk about your backstory. How do we get to senior year at Plum High School where you're going to make this decision? So basically, uh, I actually grew up when I was a child. I actually grew up in this, it was called South Fayette County. Uh, I was young, so I don't really remember too much about it. But then after that, I remember I moved to Highlands. Um, went from Highlands uh, basically all the way from till second grade. Uh, was in the middle of my second grade year. And after that, I was in my mom was informed me that we were moving to Plum. So basically, I was I went to Plum for my second grade, like the middle end of second grade year, all the way to my senior year of high school. So that's kind of what brings me into where I was at today. So and and not only the, the, the military side of you wasn't just a sporadic thing. You were involved in ROTC at Plum. You were, you were active on the football team. There, was, there were other options that might have been out there to you. Why did, at the, at the decision of graduation or earlier, why, why the military for you? What was the reasoning? So I'll be honest with you, wasn't really a school guy. Kind of I swear, bro. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So I basically would just like when I looked at school was like socializing. It was just nice to come and then like talk to, you know, talk to people and get to know people, flourish my wings kind of sort of. But it was right around my junior year. I was like, there has got to be I was like, there's got to be something else I can do to utilize all my utilize all my skills that I currently have, like that I'm currently using. And I internally my junior year, like it was right at the beginning, I told myself like this school thing is probably not going to work. Like college is probably not going to work. And so I started looking for other alternative means of going to school. Um, that's actually my junior year. I, um, we were at an invitational track. Um, recruiter saw me doing long jump. Um, shoot to a couple days later. Um, I saw her outside of the, um, you know, outside of the cafeteria. We came, talked, did a couple push-ups. Um, she gave me some paperwork. Wasn't pushy at all. She just, just floated it out there. And from that moment forward, I thought about it. I thought about when it. When you had, 
as a junior, you walked away from football because due to due, due to some injuries and some looking longevity wise as maybe college isn't where I'm going, football quickly took a back burner. And when it came down to it, you said, this is where I, this is the angle I want to go. Basically, because you know me, man, I loved me some football, man. I, I loved it. And he, but for my- all of you out there that never got to see this man play, he was, he, he, he will be modest and tell you, but anybody that was, was in school between, I don't know, 2008 to 2010 would tell you there was a really solid quad East outside linebacker. And this, the quad East of <laughs> gateway, Woodland Hills, Penn Hills, central Catholic, you know, we played some legitimate people. This man was not only a legitimate outside linebacker, probably gets D2 looks. And that's just me now knowing what people look for. But on the running back side, he was also your, oh, I have some linemen that will, they'll give me a crease. Might not have been the greatest line, but they'll give me a crease and I can lower my shoulder. (laughs) That was this guy here. He would like to lower the boom if he could, any chance he could. And it, he never got up as a problem. The other person, not so much. They, they, (laughs) they, they were in recovery. But so junior year, it starts to come into a picture that, yeah, I got to find something else. This is my next move. So, um, it was at this point in time, um, about, it was about the end of my junior year. Um, my father who was in and out of my life, my entire life, which I'm not ashamed of, not ashamed to talk about, but he came back into my life and, um, my father, like I said earlier, in and out of my life, my entire life. So I didn't really know much about my father. It was at this, it was at this time I told him I was thinking about joining the military. And he told me at that point in time that, uh, he was like, I was in the military and that was something I did not know. I was like, I had no idea that he was in the military. Like well, almost like a it. without knowing following in footsteps. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and then, uh, full circle, once we get to the end, you've got to remind me, don't tell me, don't let me forget. But, um, so basically I talked to him about it. He told me that it was a good option. Um, he was like, you, he was like, you're physically there. He was like, I'm not, you're not worried about that at all. He was like, and he was like, you live with your mother. So <laughs> the screaming is not going to really, it's not going to really affect you that much. So after that, I, you know, I like decided to dedicate to it. And then um, over the summertime, I came back and that's when, that's when everyone realized like, where was Veda at camp with two days? Like, where was, where was Veda at camp? Yeah. Like everybody. I had, to, I had to lie to a bunch of people because I yeah. had talked to Veda and I knew Veda wasn't coming to camp, but people went, where's Veda? I don't know. I, if you remember junior year into senior year, Coach yeah. over. I got myself into some trouble early on in camp. I wasn't the best spokesperson for somebody. <laughs> my question is, at what point, or if any, did you speak? Because being Plum students, we had the ability to talk to uh, Chief Spear, Mage Kolar, um, and I always forget his last name. The other, there was another chief. And I forget his last name. Shorter guy. His name too. You know who I'm, No, Spear. We know Spear. The I know short, The shorter one. I always forget his name. The short That's, one. But we had we had we had two chiefs and a major, and they both they all three had served 
in and that was kind of what their ROTC program was kind of built around is that hey if you if this is an outlet you want to take we can help you we all took a lot of visits to a lot of different places we got to see Annapolis we got to see Gettysburg we got to see um I their Virginia I think Beach we went to I think we went yeah I think we went to DC too once or twice we did or DC like we did we did Norfolk we did the whole nine with that yeah so at, did at any time did you talk to these people or because i again i remember and this is i'm just gonna throw it out there because veda is who he is at one point i was the second in command in the classroom and veda had to take rotc orders for me well shortly it changed he was really in the military and i was a football player at bethany so but at any point did you talk to the mage chief anybody or was this something that you kind of kept to your own maybe talk to the guidance counselor about but this is where you thought you were going so basically um not gonna lie uh really looked up to all the people that was in rotc loved every single one of them dudes um not gonna lie was kind of hesitant to go to them about it because i was totally set on joining the army and you know how you know how the in-house rivalry dude you know how it is man so i knew I just knew that Their horse guys weren't going to have a good, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they weren't going to be totally on board with it. But the funny thing was, um, graduated, you know, did the whole nine, went to basic training, um, ended up coming back and it's the RTC program was still going on, walked into the high school. I went downstairs and there's major chief. All of them were sitting in that, the second office, you know, the, uh, the second right office. next to the old bookstore yep, yep. school store. Yep. Yep. So I walked in there and they were like, look at this dude. And, and then uh, we get to talking and he was like, would you join? And I was like, I ended up joining the army. And I was so hesitant to talk about it. But I remember in that moment, they all like, they were like, dude, we're so proud of you, man. Like, it's like, it was like, man, I can't believe like you thought like highly you were going to hide it from us. He was like, yeah, we're a little sad, but he was like, but look at you now. Like, look at, look at you now. Like, well, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. You bring up basic training and that was obviously there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's the videos that float around YouTube where it's a bunch of guys running into a gas chamber, take your mask off, everybody runs out. And that's the only thing you show basic training for, for somebody coming out of high school that that's what they decided to do. What is basic training like beginning to end? So so there's a lot of so there's a lot of misconceptions about basic training, and I was I was guilty of that. <laughs> so when I got to when I got to Fort Knox, Kentucky, I thought I was in basic training. Like when I got there, you know, you get to issue your uniforms, um, and then so when I actually got there, I actually left June. It was Ju I got there June 28th of 2010. So uh, what people what I didn't realize was um, the government loves their holidays. So yes, they do. Yeah, so shortly thereafter,wards the Fourth of July hit, and then um, so it was in, I was in, they call it reception. I was in reception for about uh, two weeks. So reception, you you know, getting the normal toil life of basic training. You live in these huge bays with all these dudes. You got your, you got your uh, your closet. All your stuff has to be dressed right, dress. All has to be organized. It all has to be nice. You have to make your bed. All that. It basically gives you an introduction into it. So. When I was there, I was under the assumption that I was already in basic. And so I remember I was sitting in the uh, one of the older drill sergeant's offices and uh, 
I was like, man, this basic training is pretty easy. I have my cell phone. I have this, that, and the next. And then he was like, he was like, dude, you're not in basic training right now, bud. And I was like, what, Summer? And he was like, yeah, you're not in basic training right now. He was like, this is reception. Like, you get your shots, like your uniforms. Like, you're not in basic training right now. And I like, I was like, holy cow. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Like, it was my. So, so basically, you almost go into an intake where they, they, they soften that blow. Or, but, but it's a, it's a, it's a whole, it's a, it's a mind trick too. So like, while that was going on, the drill sergeants that were going to be in charge of us, they would be watching from a distance though, picking out the people, picking out the people. They wanted to, oh, you're my guy. We're going to be friends. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, a couple days go by, we get a ship date. Uh, We get all of our stuff, we get on the bus drive around Fort Knox, Kentucky for about like, it seemed like hours. <laughs> uh, finally get to our destination. And what do I see on the hillside from the bus? See these, all these dudes on this hillside with their arms crossed, trooper shades. <laughs> um, and instead of the drill sergeant hat, um, they had Stetsons on because I was in, I was a cat, I was a cat scout. And so the Stetson was like, that's, that's the cat, that's Cavs thing. So they didn't have drill sergeant hats. They had cowboy hats on. So and you are you're you're on the bus looking at this going. Yeah, looking up, looking up the hillside. Um. So I'll never forget this moment from the day that I will from the day that I die. I will tell my kids. I will tell my kids about this. So bus door comes open. Drill sergeants come flying down the hill. On the they're on the bus in an instant. I've never felt fear like that in my entire life. And like you said earlier, like I was like, you know, I was big bad Dobbins, you know what I mean? Like no one really messed with me, man. Like I, I would consider myself, I was like at the top of the food chain, man. No one really messed with let's, me, dude. Let's point out there was a fight where an elderly respected English teacher was involved and Veda single-handedly walked into a stairwell, put both people this way and I know you can't see where my arms go, but you can assume. And looked at the teacher. It was Miss Drum. Miss Drum, yes, it was Miss Drum. Thank God, forget senior year. Miss Drum. He looks at Miss Drum while holding both of these dudes back from fighting and going, Miss Drum, you can go back to your classroom. We got this from here. <laughs> and the rest of us kind of we knew what our jobs were. Veda was just there to. Help. <laughs> Y'all are done, and now school for that. <laughs> school for that. So, from basic, what was what was the everyday life in basic? Like, if somebody is going in right now, like they're they're like you, they're coming out of high school, they're going right to basic. So, what um, what, what is it like for them? The one thing I will say is like, um, just from the little time that I was in, um, dude, it's it's it changes rapidly all the time. So. Some things might be a little different than what they were from like that I experienced. You know what I mean? Like there's, I definitely will say that because like it's the army. It has to change the rapidly chance, but Absolutely. everyday life will look something like this. You would uh, wake up um, by your drill sergeants or like before your drill sergeants got there, or um, you didn't want to, you didn't want to wake up when they were getting there. <laughs> uh, so that was about like zero four, zero five. Um, go out, do PT um, minimum two hours. You get back, 
get some downtime, a little bit of downtime. And by downtime, I mean like cleaning, make sure everything is spotless. Everything make sure is- it's where it's supposed to be. Yeah, like where it's be. And then so while you're and then depending on where you were at in basic training, you know, like different things would happen. So like I go after PT, you, you know, you take your downtime a little bit, you'd wait a little bit, then you'd get on like you'd ruck out to like the grenade range or or you'd ruck to the the gas chamber you know what i mean or or you'd ruck to the obstacle course or you know my the one thing they did to us was uh they'd call the buses and then uh you would look and um they'd be like there you go privates i just we call these buses over here to make you strong because you ain't never gonna ride a bus ever once you're here (laughs) and then we would just walk to wherever it would be and so um you once you got back uh, went to dinner chow. Sometimes uh, you would do dinner chow out in the field. Like, it just kind of depended. Uh, but if you were able to make it back, to you go to dinner chow, and then uh, basically you rack out. Now, a thing that people don't ever talk about in the movies and in the basic training and stuff, whenever you see it, is uh, the evening times. Like, what do you do in the evening? So, in the Army, you have to get a specific amount of hours of sleep. Like, that's a rule. But out of two of those hours, you have to be either A, cleaning, or B, sitting at a desk pulling what we call firewatch. So they patrol the floor, make sure everyone's accounted for, make sure no one's going AWOL, because AWOL is a big thing in basic training. So um, that's you do one of those two things for two hours of dedicated time. Well, so can I ask you, what does the, if somebody does decide to go AWOL in basic training, what is the procedure? Are you going to look for them, or are they now just... So it's a part of the, so it's once again, it's a part of the kind of the, the mind game. So you can pick out a basic training soldier from a group of people. You can't because we're a, that's, it's the reason why basics you see, you know, in the movies, you see them go getting their head shaved. They're all wearing the same thing. Like you didn't, I, you didn't have access to your civilian clothes. So when you leave, you would eventually inevitably have to go to the store to change out of those clothes. Someone's going to see you. Like someone's going to see you in uniform. Yeah. Like someone's going to see you. And granted there are normal units on, you know, on, on Fort Knox, like that have like the normal soldiers that aren't in basic. But once again, you can pick out, like if it was a group of a hundred people, you can be like, yeah, that's the dude that's in basic training. So what happens is, is they'll normally either a try to take a bus, B try to or they'll hike out or they'll get on an airplane or one way or another, but they'll be, they'll be, you know, MPs and cops at the airports, they'll be on the railroad tracks. Like it's, Fort Knox is geographically located to prevent anyone from going AWOL because there's, it's just, there's nothing around. And then you have to go to Louisville. Um, But they normally get found, they bring them back. And then they ask them like, hey, you can either start back from the beginning or we can get you out of the military. It's one of the two. So the latter being worse. How does that, how does that work? Do you, do, if you, if you're going to go the, the other option, you know, you're going to, maybe the military's not for you. You know, so I had, so I had my first sergeant, he'd walk around, he sound like this, he's like, all right, soldiers, I'll tell you, first time I was like, I'll tell you one time, he was like, and I'll ask every time, if you don't want to be here, just let me know, I'll get you out, <laughs> I'll get you out the proper way, but you gotta let me know. He was like, because if you don't let me know, I'm going to destroy your entire career. <laughs> so, like, it was open. You know what if I mean? You're, like, if you're willing to say, hey, this isn't for me. Exactly. But if big, you're not, big, yeah. but then you ditch. Okay. So, 
And I, I if if I'm if I'm inappropriate at any point, please please let me know because you served. And I I want to do the whole you know the the PR part of this, but because you're my boy and I want to let you know, thank you. I appreciate oh, okay. everything you've done. Oh man, I appreciate that, dude. Man, thank you for thanking me, bro. I think I appreciate that, man. You 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 fought for the for what I'm doing right now is the ability to do this is to talk to people. Man, I never really saw myself as you know like I never really saw myself as a hero. You know what I mean or like anything like of that sort. You know me, bro. I've always been like I try to be as humble as I possibly can, and I never really viewed myself as like a hero while I was in. Or like a Captain America or anything. Like how I looked at it well, was you I, were doing what your job was to do. Yeah, exactly. I was just and then I, I was like, man, like I know that I can be good at this. And I was like, I know well, I'll be able to succeed. I'm so, sure that other people have thanked you because they know that you have served as well. But coming from where where we grew up and where where we graduated from, if nobody from Plum has said it to you, I will I will on camera say it. I appreciate everything you've done. Man, I, because, I that, man. Thank you. And that's where I want to go into our next spot. So what was out of basic, what was your first deployment? Uh, so my first deployment, I went to um, Kandahar, which was an RC South. So it's actually a funny story because um, I went to a, I went to dog bomb dog school before that. And, uh, <laughs> which was random. It was the most random thing ever ended up, unfortunately ended up, um, not passing the course like all the way, but, uh, was able to experience things, was have the experience. And I'm happy that I wasn't able to get the dog over there when I was overseas. Um, because I was able to be there for my guys when I was over there, when I was deployed on the ground, because they needed dudes, like they needed dudes really, really bad. So, um, I left, what was that? So technically it would be considered leaving in 2000, 2012. I was gone all of 2012. I got back January of 2013. Yeah. Cause that's when I saw you, that was when we ran into each other, me, you coming Zemmerich, we ran into each other. Oh, yeah, that was, yeah. That was so long ago. Yeah. 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 That, that was, was, that was your first time you were back stateside and you came straight home. Yeah. So, but so the everyday life in Afghanistan, so how I, how I explain it to my civilian friends so it's easy for them to understand because like it's hard to wrap your brain around like just that. Like going outside the wire, like going outside the wire, like you're going into hostile territory. So how I describe it to um, people that are in the civilian sector is imagine you wake up in the morning and you're preparing to go to work and you turn on the TV and you see on the TV that wherever you're at, the zoo, all the animal, all the animals got free. They all, they all broke free and they're in the wild. Tigers, lions, grizzly bears, cheetahs. You're on lockdown, basically. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. But they, they, didn't, they, they didn't lock anything down. Everything was still up and running and you still had to go to work to get your money. So you have to internally, when you're about to walk out that door, Come to a realization that if you go out that door to go to work, there is a chance. I mean, it might be a slim chance, but there is a chance you could run into a lion. You could run into a tiger. You could run into a bear. Oh, you my know what? So that we can have enough for that second part of this episode, because, you know, I want to, I want to, I think this is a good spot to hit you with a pause. We're going to take a timeout real quick. 
Ron, we're going to take a Ron Richards timeout for our plum friends or a Billy Romito, but Coach Romito never called a timeout. If it, ever. If, ever. <laughs> we, we got 30 years worth of timeouts stored. But, Veda, I want you, for the second part, we're going to start right here, right at the, you know, you could walk out your door. Um, but I do have to send it to one of my sponsors. His name is KJ Kieran Dunn, Maple Shade Outdoors. For you specifically, I know that you you are an aficionado of the Warren County tri-state area, Allegheny Forest, where, you know, KJ does a lot of things between New York, Ohio, West Virginia, Maryland. He is a everything outdoors. You want to make sure you check him out. Get over to YouTube, Maple Shade Outdoors, subscribe to his channel. Before you do that, you want to hit like because Veda will come and beat you up if you don't. You want to hit like and subscribe. I promise you, he looks more vicious than he is. <laughs> KJ does everything outdoors, Maple Shade Outdoors. You can follow him on Instagram. It's maple underscore shade dot outdoors. Follow him. But we will be back with specialist Veda Dobbins. I am. What's going on, everybody? This is Kieran Dunn, founder of Maple Shade Outdoors. You're currently watching Dingo Talk with my man, Carlo. If you're anything like me and you're really enjoying this content, you should like and subscribe his page. While you're on YouTube, you should probably just head over and like and subscribe Maple Shade Outdoors. Check out our page, enjoy some videos, some outdoor content. You might as well hop on Instagram, Facebook, follow us, Maple Shade Outdoors. Now that's enough about me. I'm trying to get back and watch the rest of Dingo Talk. So I'll talk to y'all later. I am Carla Guarnino. This is Dingo Talk. My guest is specialist Veda Dobbins from the United States Army, a retired Army veteran. Uh, we have him here on Veterans Day, Veterans Week. I don't, I, I don't want to call it Veterans Day. We're not, we release on Thursdays, so it's a, you know, it's not going to be Veterans Day per se, but Veterans Day. We are, we are talking to a guy that did it. We left off everyday life, Afghanistan. Um, and you were talking about coming out, you know, walking out in your everyday. What was that like? Oh, so basically, like, what I tell my civilian friends is, you know, walk outside, all the all the lions, the tigers, the bears from the zoo, they're released. Nothing's closed. You still have to go to work. You still have to show up. So when you walk out that door, there's a chance. Might not be a high one, but it's still a chance. You might run into a lion, a tiger, or a bear, but you still gotta go to work to make to a provide for your family and b to prove something to yourself. So that is what I tell people whenever people ask me what it's like to walk and have to walk the, like walk around in Afghanistan. And it's the wild. people that you served with, that was a that was a neutral mentality of, oh no, like. Not only do we owe this to the people, but who are you? Be yeah. man up kind of thing. Yeah, kind of. So going walking around everyday life, it was it was like walking on it was like walking on uh, eggshells. Eggs. I would say it was like walking on like the Allegheny River in the wintertime with the ice is over it. You're walking Thin enough that it looks looks okay, and then you but you step on it. And that's kind of what it's like over there in Afghanistan. It's really the internal, like, 
as you're walking, like anything can happen. A bullet can come, a grenade can go off, someone, an ambush can happen. You, I can step on an IED. Someone in front of me can step on an IED. Like it was, it was real. Like it was like so real, like, real life. That person listening, did, did anything like that that you would be comfortable about talking about? Is there anything like that during that first enlistment that you had to go through in, in your, your experience? So, um, there was a time, there was a moment when uh, it was basically like a dismounted team. And um, so basically we found a whole bunch of these IEDs in the ground. I'm going to long story, long story shorter for you. So it's not too crazy. So yeah, make sure you take, yeah, we don't yeah. need the. Yeah. So, so basically found a whole bunch of these, um, we called them toe poppers. They were just like a water bottle filled with HME, which is homemade explosives. Um, we found a whole bunch of them in the ground pour Thor's out, which is something that is able to block signal from coming in and going out. So nothing goes in, nothing comes out. Nobody um, pushing a button that's yeah, gonna cause a- It's not, yeah. So walking around, um, ended up, a guy ended up uh, stepping in the wrong spot, but both of his legs just gone. Um, I responded to it, ran up on this guy. Um, and it was, it was strange, you know, seeing like walking up on that situation, you know, you would think you see in the movies, they scream, they yell. He was dead quiet. You have no idea. Cause it, I'm assuming if it happens immediately, you're not, you have no idea. You're, yeah. you're still you, but then. Yeah. So, but he just looked straight up in the air and it's like, looked at me in my eyes and like, he just like, he didn't make any noise. It was wild. He ended up living. Like we were in, we never been able to save him, but that moments like that put in perspective because like before that it was three months before we ever had anything happen to us. Do you know what I mean? So imagine going three months, eventually, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, eventually you get into the, you, you, your guard gets lowered a little bit, even though you're in, because you're used to the normal day-to-day -day life over there. But then it's moments like that that would happen that would put things in perspective for you, put things in perspective for you to like, it's real and it can happen at any point in time. So that's, it's a little bit like, that's the day-to-day. -day. And then so you do one patrol in the day and get back after at midday, you get back and uh, you just wait until the next day. Next morning, you do tower guard stuff like that. But when you came back, there was there was somebody waiting to basically they're going to do the same exact patrol that you do. Like basically, like every day the same thing in different areas. You do different routes. You know, not readable or whatever. But we were in charge and responsible for a specific area. We would meet with the um, they called them like the Afghan police. Um, so you would meet with these local, like basically like like PDs and like, you know, here I live in Colorado. So Colorado Springs PD, they had the same thing. So you would meet with their police force and you, okay. they would take you to problem areas and then you would help them in any way to complete the mission. So it was more, when I was over there, it was more of a, let them take the reins and then they tell us how we can support them in a nutshell. That's basically how it went. So you go out, Ask them if there's anything they need, do a patrol. You do that for like till midday, 1700, get back. Um, and then you mess around and so you SP the next day. So when you're back on like the FOB, you know, you just, um, there's, you know, limited supplies of food. It's not like here, you can't just go to like a grocery store and just get whatever you want. What's there is what gets dropped there or what comes there on a truck. 
So, you know, you got to be kind to everybody. Make sure everyone gets a piece. You didn't go into the chow hall and like take 15 of a power bar because everyone wanted a power bar. So it was kind of like you had to live together on this post in the middle of nowhere, Afghanistan and survive. But it was a matter, it was the reason why it was so awesome and why I loved it so much is because the brothers and the sisters that I made there, it was fantastic. Like it was awesome. So you 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 bring that up, the brothers, the sisters that you developed. And and in a college lifestyle, you may have may or may not have gone in a Greek route to build that, but not in the same way. You built a camaraderie of we're all here, we have a sole goal we might as well work together what was the camaraderie like on 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 that day-to-day spectrum like like the people that were there with you or maybe even for new people that were landing and deploying as well what was that what was the nucleus of the community like for you guys it was awesome so imagine so imagine living in a tent with like (laughs) with like 20 other dudes (laughs) like there was there was two, like, they had these huge tents, like, they're huge. And so they're broken into two sides. And so, you know, the privates and the Joes and everything, they would stay in one tent, and then the NCOs would be on the other side of the tent. But y'all all were together. And, like, I'm talking every single day, 24-7. Like, you're always That together. was your family. That was yeah. your home. Yeah. That was... Chow, you, you got back from patrol. You went to chow together. You sat the chow. You go to the gym together. You would talk about your problems. Like, you get a letter from your girl, and it's not going well. You talk about that. Family problems get blown up. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. And you would just, like, live. Like, that's, like, you were family. Like, that's how it was. So, it was awesome. so let me ask you on the, since you brought up the the letters from the the, the females and, and that, and being overseas for that, and I'm sure you dealt with it a bunch. There's this whole, the, the Dear John. Is that a real fear? So, I wouldn't, not really. It really comes to fruition, like, when you get home, if that makes sense. So it's um, not when you're there. It's when yeah. you have to come back and re-acclimate. And- yeah, okay. yeah. So the Dear John, the Dear John thing is, it's that. Now, that's a thing in basic training, though. <laughs> like, so it's, it's a basic training thing, not yeah. a go overseas and you're gone. Yeah, yeah. Like, so they have this saying when you were in, when you get back, um, they said like six months, like the six months is like, that's the, that's the, the sweet spot. That's what they said. Cause it's six months. That's when your brain. So it's when your brain wraps around like everything you did over there, like your life over there, like all the, the glee and joy from being home is gone. And then you're in that sudden realization of like, this is what it is. So at that six month mark, that's when you normally start seeing the um, like a lot of the, you know, self-imposed suicides and issues that pop up with that stuff. So, but you see divorce rates and girlfriends breaking up at, at that six month mark. Well, so let me ask you, so you, you got to that point. I happen to have the, the fortune of being home that Christmas break and you and I got to see each other. I think we ran into each other at a pack sun. It wasn't a planned thing, but we ended up meeting at a bar later on why for you individually and and maybe some of the people that you 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 were deployed with why the decision to re-enlist after you 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 did your four years so now you're you qualify for the gi bill correct yep you you have a pension from the federal government 
from being a military a serviceman why was why was the second enrollment something that you decided to do i guess is the question that i'm getting at so i get like you ever i'm pretty sure everyone can equate something to like when they they found their true calling and so like when i was in afghanistan and i was just doing the day-to-day life and like living that life and being there i felt a sense of like a sense of like knowing like this is what i need to do this is is where i belong yeah this is where i belong i'm good in the chaos i react well under the chaos And 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 not to cut you off but what is what is that like the the once you've been there long enough that you get the opportunity because it's what it's every four years you have to you re-enlist so you did eight years total when you're in that and it's that's where your mental state has gone is that this is i'm doing a service i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing how does like did you you learn the the language of the country you were you were fluent in arabic you were able to speak to people i mean what all comes with that how do you make how do you come to that decision four years later from being in afghanistan i it was kind of a it was a mixture of talking to some of your buddies talking to like your senior leadership um and i'm not gonna lie i was a little bit of a fear factor because uh, when you talk to some dudes, they're like, dude, there's nothing out there, man. Like, this is this is what you got. This, this is, is it. Yeah, this is it. So it's kind of a fear thing. It's like, man, I'm scared, like, to go out and try to – and why would I leave something that I'm good? You know what I mean? I can just do my 20, and then I can retire, and we're good, right? So that was a part of, you know – the whole making the decision to re-enlist to stay in because I just felt like I wasn't, I wasn't done. You know what I mean? I had more. So four years later, you serve your second term. Is there anything that stands out in that second tour that you, I know that, Hey, as a veteran, I understand it. it, That's a, there's some things that you you might not want to talk about, but is there anything out there that, you you would like to talk about it and not compromise anybody that might still be in. No, um, I think I think the uh, <laughs> I think the one thing I learned about from my from the second is just being like, just being patient. Like honestly, like just being patient. Um, was a little antsy wanting to get back. Um, this, like just really really antsy. But I made a lot of decisions off of impulse because I knew what I was getting myself into. Yeah. And uh, looking back on it, I think I, I wish I would have just thought about things a little bit more. Um, so you say that and let's, let's go. Um, I, I, I want to stay with, with you still being active. NCOs versus being an enlisted is kind of a common myth, right? Because to be an NCO you almost have to be an enlisted guy. And we dealt with that in the major and the chief and the different, there was a difference there. So the enlist, so basically like enlisted personnel, those are the people that like, you know, they didn't go to college. They didn't go to like, they didn't, I mean, you can go to college and still be enlisted. There's more benefits to go to college and then go to officer school and then become an officer. But 
an enlisted personnel is the only thing that can become an NCO. So you okay. have to be an enlisted to, in order to become an NCO. So the the non-commissioned officer has nothing to do with you went to you went to college, you got a four-year degree, you went to officer school, you come out, you're an NCO. That has nothing to do with that. So basically, like, so how it works is so you automatically get the rank E1, three, four, which is where I was at. You automatically get that. Okay. You automatically get it, like you get your E4 at two years. So you're five. In order to get your five, you have to go to a board. A board is like equatable to like basically you meet with like a CEO of a company, which would be like your star major of your what battalion or um, how there's different ways that people have battalion, but we have battalion. But anyway, so it's the command star major, which is an enlisted personnel. And then the first sergeants of all the companies you meet with them. They ask you questions. And then they basically about your job and everything. And then they're like, we recommend this dude to be promoted to E5. You get on the list. You so get it's, to, it's to them. Yeah. It has nothing to do if somebody nominate or, or puts, not nominates, but puts you up for that. Like, hey, this dude needs to be. You still got to go before this, this council yeah. board. And they make the final decision of we recommend Veda Dobbins becomes a specialist. Exactly. And okay. exactly. So that would be from special. So you would be from specialist to E5. So once you become an E5, you're considered a non-commissioned officer. So after that, you have to get one more board, the same thing, E5, to get to E6. And then so once you get to E6, E7, that is. There's so much mathematicals and like numbers and stuff with that and all the craziness that goes on. But in order, in order to get your E7, you basically have to make a list basically that the government, they look over this list of all these people and they go through and pick the best of the best. And then they promote those people on at E7. So, so, well, here's my question. When you decide, so you, you served eight years, two yeah. tours. In Afghanistan, you were you were a frontline guy. You were there. Why the dis why the decision when you made it and when you made it? Why was that where you decided, or was does that fall into a, a medical field? A you just the 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 military decided that we needed you here. I mean, you at eight years and eight years of frontline combat, I'm assuming you've made your way. So what was the decision to walk away from the military? So unfortunately, um, I ended up getting um, hurt pretty bad. So um, I got out here, um, I'll long story shorter, <laughs> but I got out here, uh, my body wasn't really acclimated to um, the height cha uh, the height changeover. So I went from Washington, like Seattle, Washington, like Washington yep, yep. State at sea level, below sea level, um, got to Colorado, went from at sea level, below sea level, went up to 65. I think we said at 62, like 6,200 feet up in the air. Yeah. I mean, that's my high stadium gives you. Yeah. So, so when, uh, once I got here, ended up going out straight out to the field. Um, my body just wasn't adapting very well. wasn't adapting very well. Wait, um, this is, this is you, you come from Afghanistan. They bring you back. You yeah, so married. for those that don't know, he's married, he's happily yeah. married, he's a wonderfully married man. His wife is wonderful. <laughs> Thank but, you, I appreciate that. But so, all right, so what happened? This is kind of what the re enlistment thing 
So when you re-enlist, especially when you're in a war zone, uh, when you're re-enlisting, because that's a big deal, they basically let you pick wherever you want to go. And then so I was I was able to fortunately enough be able to pick Colorado because this is where I always wanted to go. So I was I went out to Colorado. Um, once I got out here, it's called a PCS, so a permanent change of duty station. Once I got out here, um, I didn't acclimate very well. I went to um, went out to the field, um, ended up passing out on the mountainside. Uh, I woke up in the hospital. Um, Elevation-wise, right? Yeah. It's not good for your body. Yeah, no. So um, passed out, woke up in the hospital. Um, basically, I was in what is called rhabdomyolysis. It's like when your muscle tissue breaks down to the point of no return and then it gets in your bloodstream and it shuts down your kidneys. So for like a year on and off, I was in and out of the hospital, renal failure, in and out of the hospital. So unfortunately I wasn't able to recover and bounce back from it. Um, so I had to get uh, medically discharged from the military from it because it was due to. Um, now, how does that process work? Do they, it, that's, that's an honorable discharge, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So of course. So, when you get medically discharged from the military, it's under honorable circumstances. Um, but since you're medically since if you get medically retired, which is over a certain percentage, you basically get all the benefits of a person that did 20 plus years and retire. So I still have my TRICARE um, for me and my wife uh, that you mentioned. Um, I still, and then- um, Wonderful lady. Yeah. Wonderful lady. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate it. I also, I also She's get. She's gonna uh, watch this. She's she becomes a viewer. The more I say, "Wonderful lady," <laughs> you know it, dude. You know it. But um, so and then uh, basically with that rating, there's an army rating that retire that basically says if you retain your um your Tricare, your army benefits, and then the VA, which is a separate uh disability, um, that's when you get your monthly stipend, or as you might know it as a pension. So. You have to go to the. So is there anything, as a as somebody that receives those type of benefits, is there anything from the VA that maybe, and I, I don't want to get into the political side of it, but on the way that they do their their job, has it hurt you or helped you, and have they done what they're supposed to do for you as somebody that served eight years? serving your country protecting what we do here every day and what i get to do is that what the va is doing right now or is what we hear out there kind of true that the va doesn't give a damn about veda dobbins coming back from so how i would basically how i put it is when i first got out it was kind of a struggle um but now the resources that I was able to utilize from the VA are phenomenal. Like I have no, like I have no qualms because I, you know, I, we all, we all, we all been there in our sad moments. And New York. We like, yeah. We feel like we don't got no place to go. And I'm not ashamed to say that, you know, I, I struggle with PTSD and depression. You know what I mean? I, I have no, no problem saying that, but the reason why I'm able to say that is because I was able to reach out to the VA and the VA reached out to me and they got me through the proper channels to talk to who I needed to talk to. Well, and if it wasn't for them, I want to interrupt you, but I want to, I want to touch on that a little bit before we get to the end of this segment. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, so it, it, it's real. You come back here. It's a struggle to assimilate back into being a civilian from being, every day there's a there's a high 
Cam, you said high level threat, right? That was the that was the word we used. So you went from high level threat every day walking out of the tent to coming back to America. And there is that ability to go talk to people and be able to to explain how you feel where these people are trained to do this. They're, you're not coming out and, and being kind of tossed aside, I guess is the word I would use. Cause it seems that for the most part we hear it's veterans are, they, they come back and they get tossed aside. And you're saying you came back and you had the opportunity from what you knew, go talk to the right people they they got it so there is the right people out there to guide the military base coming back to america especially you know we're, we're talking 2021 everything's supposed to be gone and i'm not politic wise i'm just saying military wise talking to a veteran they're all coming home supposedly in september no and it's and i can tell you for a fact that it's true it's actually happening. So it's they're happening. they're coming back in September. What and and what's there for those guys coming back is a system that you were able to utilize to your benefit to help you almost assimilate back into normal society. So I, for those of you that don't know, Veda works in the. Uh, he's a he's a. Uh, security officer but he works in the side of he watches you on camera and when he knows that you're about to steal something he meets you at the front door and from this view doesn't help you but let me tell you when you see some of the snapchats this guy sends <laughs> there's a big guy and there's a small guy trying to steal something from Lowe's Home Depot, Home Depot. Home Depot. And and they run into Veda and they go, oh my fault, bro. I'm sorry. Here you go. Here's it back. And and well, then he has to do his job. But so there is a um, process to come back and assimilate back in. What is that? How does that process go for you? Like you said, it was a little tough at the beginning, but now you have all these benefits, the VA plus your job. How do you come back as a guy, you know, the Veda that I knew at 18 years old, obviously, is the Veda that I know at 26 years old. So how I would like, how I would describe it is, so when you get back, when you get back from, so when you leave and when you get back, you do, it's called SRP. And then when you leave, it's called SRP. And then when you get back, it's called reverse SRP. So they ask you, like, you know, when you, like, on the reverse side, they ask you, like, hey, like, how was it? Were you exposed to anything crazy? Like, what happened over there? Do you need to talk to somebody? And nine, like, I would say 9.9 .9 times out of 10, because you're home. You're happy. Bro, you just got back. You're happy. As, you're you're happy. not saying anything to yeah, cause you're like a kid. You're like a kid in Christmas. Like, you remember, like, remember when you were a kid in Christmas? You're like, that. that's what it feels like. So I would guarantee you, and I was the same way. 9.9 .9 times out of 10, you probably be like, no, I'm good, man. I'm fine. But then that six month mark, remember I, was, I told, we were talking about the six month thing. Talked about it. Yeah. So the six month hit. And then that's when you start seeing the problems. Like I'm anxious. I don't even know what anxious is. I'm scanning. I'm all over the place. I'm looking around. I'm paranoid. I, I think I'm seeing stuff. 
I'm having horrible nightmares, like stuff like that. That is what made me realize that I needed to go talk to somebody. And, you know, um, unfortunately I've had some, I had some really, really good friends that, you know, they didn't go talk to people. And unfortunately they're not here with us anymore. They've got, they've gone. Yeah. And we, we, we share these people in, in our area, especially. Yeah. And so if there's, if there's one thing that like the people that are watching this, if you're a vet or even if you're just a normal person, like, and you can't, and you can relate to this, if there's one thing I can, if, if you take one thing away from this is if you can go talk to somebody, do it. I know you might uh, not. Here's my question to you saying that go talk to somebody, right? It doesn't. And, and I want to say this to everybody out there. I call, I all call you chuckleheads, but you are, you are, you're people to me. You're, you're, you're this family that we're building. This is a guy that has seen things, seen terrible things, seen good things, seen terrible things, had to come back and talk to somebody. And isn't ashamed to say that he came back and talked to somebody. If you're going through something, don't think there's somebody that's not out there that will help you. We're, there, there are people that we, we, we care. I'm sure that especially you saw it from being a 2010 enlist to a 2018 retiree. You saw it in mental health is a big deal. We yes. take it very seriously. Yes. And I know they don't know you and I, we we've talked since you got back and we know both of us, we, we share mental issues that it's good to have somebody, even if it's not, you're not going to go out and pay somebody, but you have a good friend that, you know, that's the person you're supposed to talk to or just tell them. And if they don't react the right way, maybe their way is the right way. They're off it. They don't, agree with you talk to them right that's that's the biggest message is just talk to somebody yeah, just talk to somebody because how i would pick how i would say it there's only whenever you start whenever you start thinking sad you start spiraling and eventually that's got to go eventually there's a funnel at the bottom of the spiral yeah. so get out of the spiral talk to somebody and if that's one thing y'all take from me just just talk to someone. You'd be surprised. <laughs> so I, I, I let into that one, got a little deep in the show so that I could, I could throw it to you for the last, we got two minutes left. I got you. Here's what I want. If military or not mental health, where do you sit? Where go get your help. Obviously we know if you have somebody you can talk to, go talk to them. But for the military people that might might tune into this because you know you share it, I share it, we we get out to different networks. If you're having a problem, Veda, how do you handle the healthiest way right now in the society that we live in? What is the best way to go about this? So one thing that um a lot of people don't talk about, like have a plan, man, because I know for me, I, you know, I, I look like, you know, I'm a happy dude, like, but on the inside, I struggle with my issues. I struggle with my stuff. And you never know when that sadness is going to hit. So I plan and knowing like what you're going to do to be in place, like to get, make sure that you're safe. That is the best thing in the world. So 
having a plan because the worst thing to do is to get in a situation. We all know this. The worst thing to do is to get in a situation and you don't have a plan. You don't have an exit route. You don't have an exfil. You don't have like there's you gotta have a plan in anything that you do, especially when it comes to sadness. And if it gets too heavy, if you're a vet, you know the you know the VA's number. And when you call that VA number, they say on there, if you're thinking about harming yourself or having thoughts of suicide. And we the- will right now, we will put that number right here so that if you don't know the number, it's literally right where my finger is pointing, somewhere in this section, it will be there because it, it is important. We need we need these people to come back and be able to be. Yeah, because like I said, I reached out, I talked to people, I still talk to people to this day. I have no shame in telling people that I do. And I feel like because of that, this, those hard decisions has made, the realizing and talking to a therapist, realize that like, you know, there is a more, there is something other than causing chaos in the world. There is something worth, there is something wor- more worse than causing chaos and that's to fix this world. And I'm fine with that. And I'm happy that I was able to do that, so. So my que- my last question, I guess, because normally I would ask at this point of the show, before I send it to my sponsor, I would ask, why did you choose the place that I went to college? And why would you choose Division Three Athletics? You chose neither. My question to you is, what is the belief right now of the soldiers that are about to come home? Are they there to come back and assimilate or are they going to struggle with that, you know, assimilating back into these people, regular civilians, right? That's what you would, as as a military man, that's what you would call them. They are regular civilians. You have a special thing that it makes you what you, what your job is. You, you were this. What is that like to come back into real life? The, the whole coming back and, and assimilating back, how does that work? So I know one I know one thing that soldiers are known to have is to be stubborn, to be tough, and to be able to adapt to the roughest of circumstances and make the best of it. And I will say this, when I came home and I, when I got medically retired, it was hard. It was definitely really, really hard. But my soldier's instincts kicked in and I was able to make it work. So everyone, to all the vets that are watching this that are thinking about getting out, you might be scared and they might be trying to scare you, but trust me, there's a lot out in this world, man. And there's more to, there's more to this world than the military. So don't be scared, one. And two, you're a soldier. You're going to, as we say in the military, take a knee, drink some water and keep carrying on, man. And Moving that's just, on. Keep going. Yep, and that's just how it is, man. Well, at that point, Veda, I want to thank you once again on behalf of everybody that watches the show and the people that work on this show. You are you you have you have given more than enough to your country, and I thank you 100 percent for everything that you've done. I thank you for your friendship, and I thank you for being on the show. Oh this, man, I appreciate that. This is specialist Veda Dobbins the United States Army. I am Carla Guadalino. This is Dingo Talk. And I mean, I guess there's no other place to send it than to the guy that has the only business in town here in Bethany. 
Chambers General Store. Harry Chambers, he's going to tell you everything about your, if they don't have it, you don't need it. It's actually on a shirt. You can buy it. Veda, I'll get you a shirt. Don't worry about it. We're already, we already in the work of sending it out to Colorado. It's just a shipping thing right now. <laughs> you know, you shipped me something. There were some problems. Yes. <laughs> we, we have some problems with our, our post office to your post office. But not only does Chambers General Store have some great t-shirts, they have breakfast sandwiches. They have specials every day. Uh, Harry Chambers and the family has been there for 100 plus years. Um, there's really no other way to say if you came to Bethany and you didn't stop at Chambers, did you actually stop at Bethany other than just looking at you and going, oh, you went to Bethany? You stopped at Chambers? No, uh, you didn't go to Bethany. So without further ado, Veda, I want to thank you from everybody here in Bethany, everybody here that we know, our friends, Ryan Cummings, Brandon Plunkett, and Derek Emmerich, Spencer T or T Spencer Schmeck, whichever way you want to go with it. And the rest of us from the class of 2010, as somebody that graduated with you, I thank you 100% for everything you've done. Um, I appreciate you being on the show. And without further ado, I'm going to send it to the other staple of, of Bethany, which is the one business that's left, Chambers General Store. Um, thank you. And this has been Dingo Talk. I am Carlo Guanino. This is specialist Veda Dobbins on from the United States military and Harry Chambers. Take us away. While you're in Bethany, make sure you stop in the store for a daily lunch special, breakfast sandwiches all day, try out the biscuits and gravy, guaranteed it'll fill you up, and also look for our new burnt orange chambers, if we don't have it, you don't need it t-shirts, and our psychedelic green third edition Bethany mushroom capital of the world t-shirts. Now back to you, Dingo. You wanna know by now.